The first time I can remember uh, something around the issue of sex had to do with a word. But it wasn't just any word. It was one of the most degrading words that you could ever use in describing uh, sex. I was eight years old, and I was on our elementary playground when all of a sudden there was a kid that started throwing F-bombs out all over the place. Now, I had never heard this word before, but I thought to myself, I want to be included with the group, so I started saying the exact same word. Now, there wasn't a problem with this until I finally uh, went to uh, my home, and uh, we lived in a parsonage, which was right beside the church. Now, a parsonage is a home that the church actually pays for the pastor and his family. And I remember when I got there one spring afternoon, after learning this word, I started walking around the parsonage uh, saying F-bombs left and right. Now, at that point, I don't know if my uh, mom just had some wisdom or if she just didn't want anyone else from the church world to know that I was using that kind of language. So she said, Chris, come inside the house. So I walked into the parsonage, and she was very, very calm, and she said, hey, I hear you using this word. Do you know what it means? And I said, no, I don't know what this word means at all. And she said, well, it's very degrading towards women and marriage, and God doesn't want us to use that word. And so after that time, I decided not to use it. Now, that might be a funny story of like, oh, yeah, you know, you didn't know the word and you said it, but this is what's not so funny. Uh, That's the only time I can ever remember my parents talking about sex with me. So just a time out right now for all of you that are parents, all of you that are grandparents, all of you that are on the stream right now, I just want to encourage you with these words Don't be silent on this issue. If there's any issue that parents, and if you're a grandparent and you're, uh, you know, have your grandkids with you, that you should be talking about, it is sex. Because if you don't talk about it, somebody else will, and I guarantee it will not be as healthy. So my dad uh, never really gave me the talk. We never really talked about the birds and the bees, the flowers and the trees, the moon up above. We just never had the talk. Now, I did learn a lot about the dangers of sex. Uh, People would tell you all the time, oh, it'd be horrible. Don't go down that road and don't get, you know, sucked into a a female who's wrong and they got a bad path. I mean, you know, someone that might be like a future doctor or something like that. And and so I heard all of these bad things about sex. I I just never heard about how it could be good and positive and wonderful in the confines of marriage. And, And this is why we're talking about it today. Because, folks, you are bombarded with messages of sex every single day. It's on the Internet. It's on social media, on movies, magazines, it's in our music, it is all around us. It's on advertising and billboards. We're connected and bombarded by it all the time. 
And yet the truth is, we still have a hard time talking about this elephant in the room in our families and in our marriages and in the church. My wife, uh, Jennifer, uh, grew up in a family too where she never got to talk. And so uh, what was interesting, though, is that they made up kind of words for the private parts. These were some of the words that they made up. Words like tuppies, buppies, and tatas. Now, <laughs> I'll let you try to figure out what those words mean and what parts. But, but when we first got married, I had no idea. And they would start using these words. I'm like, what are they talking about? And so Jen had to educate and translate those words for me. Because the truth is, folks, we don't like to talk about the subject. We, we just have a tendency to not find the language in knowing how to talk about this elephant in the room. Now, the reality is, though, is that God has no problem talking about it at all because he invented it. In fact, the very first command that we find in Scripture is this. He, he actually said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, he said, have tons of sex and have tons of kids. That's what his call was to Adam and Eve. I mean, he invented it, and he wasn't afraid at all to talk about the elephant in the room. But we typically have a harder time, and we're not sure. Do we use medical language? Do we use clinical language? Do we use slang? Do we make up words in our own family thing to talk about the private parts? Well, the good news is, is that Scripture is very clear on talking about this, and throughout Scripture, it used very poetic language. Uh, poems and, and poetry and illustrations of talking about what this gift that God created is. And it's very straightforward and it's very descriptive. So, I just want to share with you a couple of different Scriptures that we find uh, talking about sex itself. And I'm just warning you on the front side, if you're already uncomfortable, once we actually get into God's Word and we're reading a couple of these passages, I'm just saying, some of you might blush. You just might blush. So here we go. Here's the first one in Genesis, and this is what it says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become, what's it say? One flesh. One flesh. Now, all of you know what one flesh is, right? I don't have to describe that for you, right? One flesh, that's what he's saying. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So Adam and Eve are one flesh. They are one physically, they're one sexually, they're one emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And notice, folks, that it says they were what? Naked. You can say it in church, it's okay. They were actually naked. And there was no shame, there was no guilt, there was no embarrassment, there was no elephant in the room. Now the second passage that I want us to look at is found in the Song of Solomon. And there's one book in the Bible that is all geared towards celebrating the gift of sexuality in marriage, and it uses some very descriptive and poetic language. Uh, some of the guys here right now and men are like, dude, I didn't know that existed. Like, had I known that, I'd been reading the Bible a long time ago. Uh, so here we go. Here is Song of Solomon. 
this guy named Solomon, this is his point of view. He said, I will climb up into the palm tree and take hold of its branches. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, let's go a little bit further. It goes on. Now, may your breasts be like grape clusters and the scent of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine, smooth and sweet, flowing gently over your lips and your teeth. Folks, don't get mad at me for like, I just don't think we should talk about this in the church. It's right here. Like, you can read it. It's in the Bible. It's right there for you to be a part of and for you to experience. Now, the thing is, some of you might say, well, that's a guy's perspective. That's Solomon. I mean, he's sensual, but, well, let's listen to his wife. Look what she says. I am my lover's, the one he desires. Come, my love, let us go into the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go out to the vineyards. Let us... Whether uh, Let us see whether the vines have budded, whether the blossoms have opened, and whether the pomegranates are in flower. And there I will give you my love. Now, I don't have to explain to you these phrases, do I? Vines that have budded, blossoms that have opened, pomegranates that have come into flower. Like it's in the Bible. And these are very descriptive and kind of steamy and erotic words that are given in the confines of marriage. And so husbands and wives, just a thought, tonight before you go to bed, you might just say, hey, let's get out the Bible. Let's read a little Song of Solomon. And some of you men right now are like, dude, I didn't know you would help me out that much. I owe you, you know. Like, like this is the best talk ever bunch. You can stop now. Well, we won't. But anyway, you could read it together. Now, here's my only problem. Those of you that are single, don't read this because what it's going to do is make you very frustrated before you go to bed. So, so don't do that. All right. But these are passages that I want to share with you because many times we don't see them or we don't read them about the fantastic intensity and love that is celebrated in the context of a spiritual relationship between a husband and a wife. And there is erotic pleasure, and there is passion, and there is unashamed freedom. But unfortunately, that's not always the description that you and I receive when it comes to what our culture talks about sex. In fact, many of us who are married are actually experiencing great disconnection when it comes to the bedroom. I read some research this week about uh, a marital uh, kind of counseling center that did a whole bunch of research to try to find out uh, what were some of the struggles that couples were having. And one thing that they found out was that 75% of married couples are not having mutually fulfilling, satisfying sexual relationships. Just think about that. Seven out of every ten of you that are married, you are not having satisfying, fulfilling sexual relationships. So as I looked at this study, I started thinking to myself, well, why is that? Why isn't this happening? What are some of the elephants in the room that are becoming obstacles for married folks? Well, the first one is this. It's fatigue. 
fatigued. We're just exhausted. We're just so worn out. By the time that we've commuted somewhere and come back and we worked a whole long day, we are just overwhelmed and tired. And when that happens, fatigue often affects the bedroom. Now, many of us are putting tons of hours in. Both people are working. And many of us are becoming what I call DENs. You want know DENs stand for? Double income, no sex couples. You both are working. You're putting all this energy into everything. But it's double income. Money's flowing in. But there's no sex that's taking place. And we get home from work. And we're exhausted. And by the time we put the dinner together. And we put the kids down. Or we help them with homework. Or we're off to a sporting event. Or a dance recital. Or whatever it is. By the time we get home. We have nothing left for our spouse. Everyone is working and moving. There just isn't much moving happening in the bedroom. And in a couple of weeks, I'll be talking about um, the elephant in the kitchen. And in the kitchen, what I'll be talking about is the busyness in our schedule that keeps us from actually living out the life that God would want us to do. Not a hectic, frantic pace but a manageable life that we live with joy. So make sure you're here next week, and the next week we'll talk about the elephant in the kitchen. So one obstacle is fatigue. The second obstacle is your past. Your past. Your past, your history, can cause complications in your sexuality right now. For some of you, You were raised in a family in which there wasn't much love, and so you felt very unloved. For others of you, you actually had some sexual abuse that took place, and so it affects the bedroom. For some of you, what the issue is, you had sex before you ever got married with multiple different people, and things kind of messed everything up, and now you're struggling to be able to be married in that area. Sometimes it's growing up in a home where there just wasn't much physical kind of affection shown and you were never taught that it could be kind of a wonderful, passionate gift and it's actually become a lot more robotic or not at all. Now, maybe you were raised in a very religious family in which they never talked about it, but it was always kind of like it's bad and it's nasty and it's carnal and it's destructive and The reality is, uh, your past can affect your present intimacy in your marriage. And unless you talk about it as a couple, or unless you get some counseling to work through it, you're not weak if you do that, you're actually healthy if you do so. But if you don't, it will simply always be the elephant in the bedroom. So there's fatigue, there's our past, and then thirdly, there is unrealistic expectations. There's unrealistic expectations. In our culture, in our world, we are, like I said earlier, bombarded with sexual images that are around us all the time. You can find it on your phone, social media, movies, magazines, billboards, television. It's everywhere. And because of this, we have kind of become programmed as 
uh, Christ followers or people that are trying to keep our marriage intact in such a way that we believe that, well, sex actually should be like on the movies. Like Fifty Shades of Grey and Fifty Shades of Darker and Fifty Shades of Freedom. Fifty Shades! Woo! And some of us really think that that's what it's supposed to be. And we have this unrealistic expectation. And when it doesn't happen like that, it becomes a major source of disappointment. I mean, let's be realistic, folks. You're not going to have nirvana every single night. It's not going to be like, you know, the 4th of July and there are like fireworks that are exploding everywhere. It's 4th of July every single time. I mean, for some of you, it may be more like Groundhog Day, you know? <laughs> My wife warned me. She said, don't say that. I was like, oh, it's too good, babe. I got to... But, but I don't know what holiday you want to put it toward, but that can be it. And it's all because we have these unrealistic expectations. And so we need to be realistic about it. Well, let me give you just one final kind of obstacle with this, and it's unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. I can tell you this, that if you let an argument go, if you let a disagreement go, if you let a fight go, if you never resolve it, it's going to affect the bedroom. You'll build up walls toward one another. There won't be any bridges. And sometimes these walls can last a day or a week or a month or longer. And all of a sudden you're disconnected and it's the elephant in the room in the bedroom because you just aren't resolving your conflict. So whether it's fatigue, the past, unrealistic expectations, or unresolved conflict, there are all of these elephants that tend to find themselves in the bedroom that affect our sex life. And if these elephants are not dealt with, they can create a huge obstacle in the marriage bedroom. And they can actually destroy it. So the question then becomes, okay, well, Chris, you told us the things that can cause this, but how do we make the marital bedroom then the safest place on earth? Well, the first thing you need to do is you make a commitment to communication. You literally make a commitment to communication. You say, we are going to be the type of couple who connects regularly, that we talk to each other regularly, that we listen to each other, that, uh, that we actually spend more time listening to the heart of our spouse than we do talking, that God gave us one mouth and two ears and that he wants us to use it in that way. And you make a commitment to have regular conversations. Uh, Dr. Kevin Lemon, uh, uh, who uh, wrote a book a few years ago, uh, it's entitled Sex Begins in the Kitchen. And ever since I read that title and read the book, I've been paying a lot more attention to people's kitchens. And let me just say this. Some of you are in trouble. You're in trouble. Now, the whole idea of the book is this, that sex is an all-day affair. Because what happens in communication outside the best bedroom 
actually has a direct connection to the sexual climate inside the bedroom. Uh, One of the things that I've realized in this whole communication thing with my wife Jennifer is that she loves to go on walks. From the very beginning that we started dating and that we actually uh, got engaged and then became husband and wife, she liked to go on walks. Now, I was young and dumb. We got married when she was 22 and I was 23. And I just would always say, when she'd say, hey, can we go on a walk? I'd be like, who wants to go on a walk? Like, a walk isn't really physical exercise. We need to go run. Like, you need to do something that, you know, really has a maximum workout. But 26 years later, what I've realized is that when Jen says, I want to go on a walk, what she really is saying, hey, I want to connect with you and I want to communicate and I want us to engage in a deeper way. And it's then we can have conversations. We just did it yesterday, actually. We went on a walk and we were away from everyone and we got to talk heart to heart and had a connection of that. No kids around. You see, the Bible says this, reliable communication permits progress. Reliable communication allows you to actually progress within your marital relationship. But folks, when we hide, when we hold back, when we don't talk about everything that's going on in our life, then it kind of affects the progress and it slows us down. You know, this is what I found in our own relationship. When communication is lacking in our relationship, it affects the bedroom. And I have a feeling that it affects every single one of yours as well. So, if you want the bedroom to be the safest place on earth, you have, uh, you know, a commitment to communication. And secondly, you have an atmosphere of affection. Now, some of you might be saying, now, now what's that, Chris? What's an atmosphere of affection? Well, the main thing is that it includes non-sexual touching. Now, I just lost all the men right here, didn't I? Let me say it again, okay? It's called non-sexual touching. And some of you men are still like, ugh. Some of you that are on the live stream right now, you're like, babe, what are they talking about? I mean, I don't get it. Well, I want you to get it today because it's extremely important. The Bible describes this actually in Genesis chapter 26. It says this, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. He was caressing her. He was holding her. He was cuddling with her. He was showing affection to her. He was touching her, but in a non-sexual way. He wasn't trying to plan the move like, hey. Nah, that wasn't it. It was actually, he was being affectionate in a non-sexual way. I probably don't have to tell you this, but when it comes to sex, uh, men and women are very, very different. And uh, they look at it very differently. We're just wired very differently. Now, generally, not exclusively, but generally, uh, men get turned on most visually. If they see something and it's visual, woo! Now, women, on the other hand, get more turned on relationally or emotionally. 
it's kind of like this. It's the difference between a crock pot and a microwave. Now, I don't think I have to tell you which one is the crock pot and which one is the microwave, right? But, but that's the truth. That's what it is. And Ephesians 5 just gives us some perspective as husbands and wives of how to handle this relationship called marriage. And it says this. It says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he, what's the next word? He feeds it and what? And cares for it as Christ does the church. What did Christ do for the church? What does he do for every church? He feeds it and he what? Cares for it. He doesn't try to get his way. He doesn't try to pout or get upset or you don't love me or if you loved me you would. or No, 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 no. It's none of that. And in the same way, husbands, Scripture commends us to care for our wife's needs and to care for her in a gentle, loving, caring, kind way. That you give yourself away to your spouse, to your wife, to enter into their world and get involved in their life. Now, some of you guys right now are like, dude, why are you giving me such a hard time? What about the women? What about them? Well, let's talk about the women. So wives, one of the things that husbands need from you in creating this atmosphere of affection, and they'll never tell you this. They'll never say, hey, I really need this. They would never say that. But really what they want is affirmation. They want you to affirm them. There is not a guy here, there is not a guy that's on the live stream right now who would ever say, nope, I don't want to be appreciated, I don't want to be affirmed, I don't want any respect. And so ladies, we're weak. Like, like we're very, very weak as men. And so you have to come alongside and you've got to affirm them sometimes. And you got to let them say, hey, you know what, you did a really good job doing this or you did a really good job doing the other thing. Uh, I'm not very mechanical whatsoever, but the other day I actually put air in one of Jen's tires. And, you know, she could have been like, you don't know how to do anything. But she actually, she knew this was important, you know. And, and she goes, boy, you're, you're really good at that, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, man, I'm like a mechanic. Like, I should work at GM or something, you know? But it's that affirmation. Uh, for example, when it comes to this, at the end of uh, the teaching today, I'll greet some of you or people will send me an email and they'll say, man, great job. That was so wonderful. I really appreciated that. Many of the guys will be like, Song of Solomon, dude, where you've been holding out on me, you know, like, like I needed that. But I can get tons of compliments from all of you and people on the stream. But none of that means as much as if Jen just kind of says, hey, it wasn't half bad, you know? Like, like for her to just recognize, hey, you did, you did a good job. We, I officiated at a wedding yesterday, and all these people are coming up, hey, good job, we appreciate it, da, 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 da. And, and none of it mattered. But then Jen goes up and goes, wow, you're very personal and relatable, and it was good. And I was like, oh, yeah, babe, that, that's what I needed. You see, 
the truth is, folks, that as wives, you need to be able to share that with your husband. Ephesians actually commands women this way. It says, wives are to honor and respect their husbands. You see, generally, what women desire, most of all, is to feel loved, a sense of security, of a sense of kind of, hey, I'm here for you. Men, on the other hand, what they want is respect. I mean, the thing that uh, would be just like terrifying and would crush Jen is if I went up and I said, you know what, I really respect you as a doctor and I really respect your work ethic. I just don't love you anymore. Not quite the same way. It would be crushing to her. And in the same way, what would hurt me so much is if she came up and said, honey, I just love you, I love you, but I don't respect you quite as much as I did when we were first married. That would kill me. You see, wives, what husbands need is respect and affirmation. And wives, what you need to realize that on the husband's side, you husbands, your wives need a sense that they're loved and you can have non-sexual touching and you can actually have investment of your time in their life. Well, last thing. If you want the marriage bedroom to be the safest place in the world is you have an attitude of self-giving. You just both commit to say, hey, we're going to have an attitude of self-giving. You see, folks, sex was designed by God as a way for us to give ourselves away to another. To actually have two people who would commit to selfless expression to another person. And it's just the opposite, though, of what we see in our culture. What we read about, what we see, what we're told about sex in the world is that it's all about getting something. What can I get? How can I be fulfilled? How can I be pleasured? And the reality is, is the Bible says that actually sex at its best is when you're giving yourself away rather than always trying to be a taker. In fact, the Bible says this, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to, what's the next word? Give than to what? Receive. It's actually more blessed. Your your life will be more blessed if you actually give rather than always trying to receive. So this week, my challenge for every husband, for every wife, for every marital couple is this. Can you outgive the other person? Can you just choose that throughout the week, whatever the situation, how can I outgive to them? And if you're single, this is a, a great kind of scripture as well. How can you go through your entire week and you can be a person who tries to outgive every single one that you come into contact? Because when you do this in a marriage, when you try to outgive the other person, you eliminate the elephant in the room. And what you find is that the bedroom actually heats up. Let's pray.
Well, God, we uh, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for every single person who's here live, every person that's on the stream. And we thank you, God, for the way that you are constantly showing your love and light to us. God, for some of us, the reason why we struggle so much with this topic of sex is because there's stuff from our past that has been very painful. There's things that we've done. There's people that we hooked up with. There's things that happened maybe before marriage or maybe we're single right now and we're struggling with that. And there's just so much that goes with that, God, that we try to avoid it. But I pray right now, God, that people would realize that you are a God who can forgive all of that. That you don't want us to walk into the future with shame. You long to have boundaries and guardrails in our life simply so that we can honor you. And that within marriage, God, there are some painful things around this topic. People that are struggling in this area. Help them, God, to know how to be honest about it and forgive them where there are mistakes and where there's been pain and bring healing in those places. I pray for each couple here that their marital bedroom, God, could truly become the safest place on earth. I also pray, God, for every single person, every single person that's really trying to to put some boundaries and guardrails in, but it's hard. And I pray for those that are like, man, it's just one area I'm, I'm not doing so well in and there's pain and there's hurt because on a weekend or an evening, they find themselves in positions and places that just create more hurt. And so God, I just ask right now that you would let them know that they don't have to go through that that you'll forgive them, that you'll give them a fresh start. You'll help them to know that they're not alone and that you're with them. Now today, maybe you're a married couple, and the truth is this area of the bedroom has been so difficult because both of you have not given your life to Christ. You both have just not said, hey, you know what? We're going to get that right first, and... I would just encourage you that if you make that right first, then everything in the bedroom gets so much better. And maybe for some of you who are single right now, you find yourself hooking up with different people and you just get more discouraged and depressed and there's no meaningful kind of connection in your life. And the problem is, is that you're hooking up with the wrong people. And the very first person to hook up with to say, I'm going to choose you above everything else is a relationship with Jesus himself. And he says, if you do that, I'll, I'll help you through this other area that you're struggling with. So today, right now, if part of the issue that you're having in this area is because you've never kind of given your one and only life to Christ, you could do that today. If you're like, well, Chris, I don't know if he could forgive some of the stuff I've done in my past, in my sexual past. No, he can. He can make it all right and make it whole and clean and provide a wonderful future. But the choice is for you to make that choice today. And so whether you're married or single, if today's the day where you're like, I need that, I need that in my life, I'm going to invite you in a prayer. 
A prayer where you can ask for His forgiveness, where you can have a clean slate, where you can have a a new start. And as you pray this prayer, you don't pray it alone, but you pray it together with all of us in unity. And so whether you're here live or you're on the stream, I'm just going to invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. And it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but we pray it together. So if you do this for the very first time, just know you're not doing it by yourself. People are around you to encourage you, to let you know, hey, I'm with you, I'm for you in the midst of that. And so let's pray. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life completely to you. Jesus, save me from my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, follow you, and serve you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.